Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you have joined us. We want to spend the hour today talking about technology, and specifically 5G, the little letters and numbers that are on a lot of our phones now. What does that mean? What does it mean to technology more generally? And are there things that we should be concerned about as technology goes forward? We want to talk about all of those things this hour. Uh, and of course, we want to hear from you about technology and 5G and what's going on with your phone and what you expect in terms of connectivity and speed with these new blazing numbers and uh, all of the kinds of things that uh, are being unveiled. As always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. 1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will try to work you into the conversation. And of course, if you are confused about 5G, don't really know what it means, or just curious about what's coming, you absolutely want to listen to our show today. So as our world becomes increasingly connected through technology, the importance of a high-speed, dependable internet connection really can't be overestimated. Advances in self-driving cars, virtual reality, and artificial intelligence are among the countless emerging technologies that hinge on reliable connectivity. That's why 5G, or the fifth generation of wireless technology, is going to be such a game changer. U.S. carriers say that 5G is going to be available by next year, but it will really be years before we have the complex carrier network that's required to allow the full potential of 5G. Here to talk about what exactly this technology is, how it's going to change our lives, and where the U.S. stacks up in the global race to 5G is Clint Finley, who regularly contributes to the tech publication Wired. Clint, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah. So let's start with what 5G is and how it is superior to 4G. Recently, I upgraded my phone, and when I went into the store to buy the new one, the salesperson was touting this idea of 5G. He said, this is the reason to upgrade your phone. It is 5G instead of 4G. And I just kind of went along and said, okay, that sounds better. Tell us why that's such an improvement. Well, it's a little early to be upgrading your phone. Uh, I would actually tell people to wait uh, a little while. Uh, so I got suckered then, Clint. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe. I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, like you said earlier, the, the 5G isn't really available yet. So, uh, you know, you could, you know, don't don't rush out and, and try to buy a new phone yet. Uh so the, the thing about 5G is it isn't just one technology. It's a collection of, of different standards. But the thing that's gotten the most attention is called millimeter wave. And so basically that refers to using the higher range of the wireless spectrum. So the wireless spectrum is, you know, when you're tuning your radio dial to the different stations that you're moving uh, the tuner uh, through the wireless spectrum. So what people are talking about doing now is going to uh, parts of the spectrum that are way off the radio dial, where the, hardly anything is being done in those parts of the spectrum now. So there's a ton of bandwidth available for for moving data around. And so the idea is that's going to make things uh, uh, much faster. So your your phone on five on a 5G network uh, would be able to, to work faster than your home broadband internet connection, your, mm. your cable internet or DSL. Um, but we're still a long way from that, and part of that of the reason is that uh, the millimeter wave 
spectrum is really only useful for short distances. It's part of why it hasn't been used already. So the carriers would have to build out a lot of uh, basically microcells instead of big cell towers. And that might work out okay in, in dense urban areas, but uh, it's, it's not great in rural areas uh, or even you know, the suburbs or even necessarily parts of a big city. So there's a shift in the strategy now towards what's called the mid-band, which isn't as, uh, as complicated to use as the higher-end um, millimeter wave spectrum. Hmm. Uh, but there's, uh, you know, it might not be quite as fast, but uh, it'll still be uh, a significant upgrade over what we have now. So, so we're, you're saying that it's fast. It's it's going to be faster than uh, what I might have in in my home. What's the what's the advantage of that on my phone? What is it that I want to do on my phone that requires such speed? Well, so people are watching more and more video uh, on the go. Uh, so, so that's one big part of it. That's where the carriers are running into a crunch already, is trying to provide uh, enough bandwidth for people to watch video. Uh, another part of it is it won't just be faster. It'll, be, it'll make it possible for the carriers to support a larger number of devices connected to their networks. So as we start to see more um, connected cars, self-driving cars, uh, various Internet of Things gadgets that all need to connect to a network, uh, and some of those, you know, when people hear Internet of Things, I think there's a lot of uh, people kind of shrugging, going, oh, you know, it's a Internet-connected toaster or something. But uh, more and more cities, uh, I'm, I'm in Portland, Oregon, and, and we just got uh, uh, smart uh, e-meters here for uh, smart electric meters that connect wirelessly to, uh, to send use, uh, uh, energy usage out to, so that people don't have to come and manually read the meter and so that uh, we can get real-time reports on how much energy we're using. So there, there are some pretty interesting and practical uses for that, and uh, making it possible to, to connect more devices to a network uh, helps enable that. But I think ultimately we don't really know what uh, faster networks, what uh, more connections is really going to mean. Uh, and, and the analogy would be you know, just going from the, from the era of dial-up to the era of, of high-speed internet that we have now, we had some ideas going back that, oh, you know, we'll be able to watch video uh, over the internet once we have broadband. But I, I don't think people fully appreciated the idea of what, of what broadband was, was going to make possible over dial-up uh, in those early days. Mm. And so I, I think we're, we're facing that. We, we don't really know what innov- innovators are going to come up with once we, the, uh, the connections can support uh, faster speeds. Uh, so U.S. carriers say this uh, 5G network is going to be available nationwide by 2020, but the first 5G networks won't be as fast as what will be possible in the future. Explain that uh, patchwork of technologies that's going to go into it and why it's going to take so long. Right. I mean, it's it, what it comes down to is just the need to build out all of the infrastructure mm-hmm. to to support more and more uh, bandwidth. It, uh, essentially, what we're talking about is just um, the, the the wireless spectrum is. I, I, you could make it. A, you could compare it as as many people have done to you know to the uh, internet interstate highway system. So, uh, adding more spectrum is like adding more lanes, and so you, you know it's going to take time to add more and more. 
Uh, as always, the number again on the phones is 313-577-1019. We're talking about technology uh, this hour. We're talking about 5G in particular, uh, this new technology that will power the phones that we all carry in our hands and maybe use too often and in inappropriate uh, circumstances. Uh, you can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Call and tell us what you think about the speed of this technology, how it's all sort of going much faster forward than it uh, used to. How dependent have we become on that technology uh, to, to power our lives? Uh, and are you worried about this technology? Are you someone who thinks uh, maybe we're going too fast, maybe we're too dependent, or that perhaps there are health concerns that we ought to pause and think about as we move forward? Again, 313-577-1019 is the number. On the phones, Michael on Facebook says the bigger fear to deal with is the imbalance of, tech th- of the technology dealing with our day-to-day lives. We must, become, we must not become so addicted to our advancements that we lose any type of independence if we have no access to smart devices or the Internet. Find that balance between having technology advance our civilization but don't become dependent on it. Uh, let's go to Vernon in Auburn Hills. Vernon, what's on your mind? Interesting show, uh, Stephen. Um, I'm uh, anxiously awaiting the 5G technology like everyone else. But the reality is um, I remember in the 60s the term data, no one even knew what it meant. Uh, it wasn't part of the vernacular and how times have really changed. And I'd love to listen to this program 20 years from now to hear how primitive things really are. Uh, back, Everything runs on electricity. 200 years ago, we didn't know what electricity was. Um, Today, 95% of the universe is dark matter. We don't even know what dark matter is. We don't even know how many universes there are. So <laughs> it, it, I am awaiting the, the 5G technology, but let's not get on the end of our seats and think that we're really that smart. Yeah. <laughs> Vernon, that is a, a sort of humbling context, I suppose, to put, uh, to put this conversation in. But I really appreciate uh, the call and, uh, and the thoughts. Uh, I, I, Clint Finley, I, I suppose one of the things he's kind of raising is uh, how far and how fast, uh, I guess, uh, things will go. I mean, it, it is it is just a few years ago, really, that uh, we were talking about dial-up uh, and uh, for Internet connection. Now, of course, we're talking about 5G, as you say, faster than uh, than uh, than uh, than anything we have even in our homes at this point is it is this uh, uh, is this a a move forward uh, the pace I guess that will sustain itself uh, and that we 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 can't even imagine I guess what what might be around the corner I don't know I mean at some point I think we'll run up against the, the laws of physics in terms of how much uh, bandwidth is, is available. Uh, but it, uh, it sounds like a joke because people are always kind of, uh, but uh, 6G is already something that uh, researchers are working on. So uh, I'm, yeah, it's uh, the plan is to keep going. Mm. Uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. Uh, let's go to Albert in Hazel Park. Albert, welcome to Detroit today. Hi, how's it going? Good. How are you? Uh, I'm good. My question is: um, I, I was told by one of my professors at Wayne State that uh, these five G and four G things are uh, 
they're confusing like migration patterns or something for bees. Uh, I guess I was just wondering, is there any sort of like known, um, you know, threat to bees or, you know, wildlife because of 5G? That's a great question. I have not heard that, uh, Albert. Uh, Clint Finley, uh, can you talk a little about whether this affects things like uh, bees, which, of course, are are critical to a number of things in uh, in our ecosystem? Right. So I uh, actually did a story on uh, some technology for uh, for beekeepers earlier this year. And when I was working on that, um, the the researchers I talked to, so the uh, uh, that that cell uh, wireless cellular, cellular transmissions were not part of the problem for that that bees have been facing over uh, the last uh, I want to say 15 years that we've been seeing bee die-offs and, and problems uh, that that things like pesticides um, in encroachment onto um, uh, in, into the wilderness uh, urban sprawl that sort of thing is actually uh, the the real problem for bees and not and the the there's not any conclusive evidence that uh, wireless signals are confusing bees. Hmm. Um, so th- there's a lot riding on this 5G technology here in America. Can you talk about the role of China, though, in the global competition to get 5G up and running and what we would lose if China gets there first? Yeah. So the idea of this being a a race in the conventional sense of a race uh, has been uh, largely overblown. I mean, if China has a a five G a nationwide five G network, you know, a, a day before the U S. does, that's not necessarily a big deal, or even you know, weeks or months before the U S. does. The concern is that the U S. falls uh, a year or, or years behind uh, China. Or other countries where uh, the the next wave of technologies could be developed. So, as I mentioned earlier, this could be thought of as the difference between going from dial-up to broadband. And in the U.S., uh, a lot of companies uh, sprang up over the years to take advantage of broadband and then of 3G and 4G. So uh, we had Apple uh, take the the global lead in uh, making smartphones. It's uh, Easy to forget that it wasn't that long ago that, that Nokia and Sony, which uh, are a uh, European and Japanese company respectively, were the biggest uh, makers of, of handsets, of, of phones, mm-hmm. mobile phones. And as those countries fell behind the U.S. in, in development uh, of, of smartphone applications, they, uh, the, the, those companies fell behind as well. Uh, so that's the concern is that that in China, which already has kind of its own uh, high tech ecosystem, that those applications will become the the wave of the future that will find their way to the rest of Asia, find their way to uh, Europe and Africa and and the rest of the world instead of uh, U.S. based applications. Mm. Uh, and you you talk about the possibility that China could be years ahead. Is that is that a real possibility? Is that something we should be concerned about? I mean, when you think of other things, uh, other kinds of technology, transportation, for for instance, uh, China is years ahead uh, for for many reasons. Are are we losing ground? I guess uh, in this in this wireless technology in the same way. I would say not yet. Um, it's hard to measure how you know who's ahead there, and and people have proposed different metrics 
and some of that is is how much spectrum has already been um, uh, planned to be to be given out to to carriers for 5G. And in that regard, China is ahead of the U.S. But in terms of actually building the networks, it's all still really early. So it's it's too early to say that you know, one country is is winning or the the other is losing. Hmm. Uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. Let's go to Bobby in Marine City. Bobby, what's on your mind? Hello. Um, so there's been a lot of concerns about the uh, health effects of the five G wave wavelengths and uh, their possible radiation. I'm wondering uh, how true the internet is when talking about these things. Hmm. Uh, Bobby, that's a great question, and you're going to want to stay tuned for sure to our next segment uh, when we're going to talk about these health concerns, uh, where they come from, and how true they are. But uh, Clint Finley, I'll give you a chance to, to answer that uh, that question right now. Yeah, so I've been slowly working on a story on this, and so I don't really want to jump to a lot of conclusions before I'm done with all the, the research and reporting for yeah. that. Mm-hmm. But from what I've seen so far, 5G doesn't look any more dangerous than existing cellular infrastructure. And when we talk about radiation, it sounds really scary until you remember that heat and light are forms of radiation mm-hmm. and that your phone emits less energy than uh, the light bulbs you sit under all day, every day. And uh, the move up the spectrum does not, uh, as much bandwidth as that frees up, and it doesn't really, um, it's not really moving the needle on on radiation or energy uh, in a in a meaningful way from at least from what I've been able to to gather so far. Yeah. Uh, and those concerns, those health concerns, of course, are being fueled by some specious uh, sources. And we're going to talk about that as well uh, in the next uh, in the next segment. Uh, let's quickly get Kelly from Rochester Hills in here. Uh, Kelly, what's on your mind? Uh, well, my mind on well, today is uh, basically we're being suppressed on technology, uh, in a sense. We're still dealing with 32 and 64 megabytes of internal, I'm sorry, gigabytes of internal memory on our cell phones when technology doubles every six months. And if that's so, why don't we have unlimited space? Over in China, just got back from there. They're so far ahead of us. It's not even funny. So, uh, um, Kelly, I'm, I'm really we, curious about that. Can you give me an example of a way in which you believe they are ahead of us? Oh, God. Um, over there, they have cell phones with unlimited space. We're talking at least. Uh, God, I, I seen one guy's cell phone. He had uh, a cell phone that had, I think it was six terabytes of space. And... Um, it was just it was it was astounding. He huh. had he had six terabytes of space, and uh, I'm looking at my phone. I got 32 gigabytes of internal, and I didn't even understand this what was going on. And he told me he goes, "We're not allowed to send our phones over to America. Wow, you guys are pretty much suppressed. You're still yeah. stuck on SD cards. Yeah. You don't even have them." Kelly, that's a that's a really interesting example. I'm glad you called uh, before we end the segment. Clint Finley, can you can you address that uh, that kind of that kind of gap? 
Uh, well, I mean, that's, that's kind of outside my expertise because I, I focus mostly on the, the carrier networks and uh-huh. not on uh, devices. On so, the phones um, themselves. I mean, you, yeah. you mentioned SD cards. That's actually, uh, for me, a frustration, which is that uh, a lot of phones no longer actually support an external SD card. So you can actually go out and buy a two-terabyte two SD card right now if you want, but your phone won't actually be able to – you won't be able to put it into your phone, chances are. It depends on what kind of phone you have. Um so you're you're stuck with what you with the amount of space that is available when you buy the phone, and I think that's you know partially to drive upgrades. That once you're you run out of space, you have to go and buy buy another device. Yeah. Uh, so I, there's probably some other technical reasons for it, but yeah, it, it's definitely uh, something that that bothers me. Yeah. Okay, Clint Finley, contributing writer for Wired, who covers the business of technology, software development, and tech policy. It was really great to have this conversation with you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me again. Up next, we're going to unpack the disinformation around 5G with somebody who says that the safety concerns started long before the Russians got involved. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones, 313-577-1019. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. Back in January, the Russian government-funded news organization RT released a video on Facebook touting the health dangers of 5G. Just last month, the New York Times took a closer look at Russia's disinformation campaign around the emerging technology. And while we want to acknowledge that in 2011, the World Health Organization's International Agency for Research on Cancer did classify cellular radio waves as a possible carcinogen, scientists are saying that we need to have more research unfold before we arrive at any definitive conclusions. The thing that was particularly noteworthy about the Times piece was that it laid out how RT is so openly launching this anti-5G campaign, directly playing on Americans' fears and divisions on this topic. Our next guest is researching disinformation around 5G and says that although Russia is exploiting the current controversy around the topic, this all started a few years ago right here in the U.S., Ben Decker is a lead analyst on a forthcoming research paper on 5G disinformation that is going to be released by the nonprofit, the Global Disinformation Index. Ben Decker, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So when did we start to hear this disinformation around 5G? For sure. So I think, uh, you know, it's important in discussing the origin to note that um, in 2016, when the FCC first decided to adopt um, fifth-generation mobile networks, you had existing anti-cellular activists who've been rallying for decades against cell phones and other forms of electromagnetic waves um, start to play into this and instantly created um, fabrications that within a year, by 2017, became infused with you know, elements of conspiracy theories and became monetized by a range of disinformation networks uh, that eventually moved upstream to um, state-sponsored Russian media. Hmm. 
Uh, talk about the big factors that are affecting this national conversation around uh, 5G technology, the health implications, the environmental implications, uh, people thinking this might be a threat to our national security. There's, there's a lot wrapped up uh, in all of this. Of course. So, you know, I think one of the most important things to start with is that the existing anti-cellular um, activism uh, most of the research has not appeared in reputable science journals, but only in little-known reports, self-publications, um, and other things with minimal significance. Yet they've managed to break into mainstream conversations because, as you noted, the origins of 5G concerns are kind of rooted in health, environment, economy, national security, and big government. Now, these are topics that are covered on a daily basis by mainstream media, partisan media, as well as dominated by talking points that are often amplified by politicians at local, regional, and national levels. Mm. But as you get into um, more polarized and partisan reporting about health, for instance, going from something like GMOs, which is kind of a debate across the board, one could push more toxic narratives like anti-vaccine advocacy or uh, revivals of CIA-backed mind control experiments. And with environment, while we could be talking about climate change, it could be very easy for certain communities to begin pushing things like chemtrails, flat earth, uh, and weather control. And as you mentioned, with China and some national security reporting, there's obviously a number of other elements that, you know, play into the continued globalization uh, of our society, our politics, and our economy. Hmm. Uh, what, is the, what is the likelihood uh, that the Russian influence behind this is really pushing it? I mean, there are lots of things that, that we accuse the Russians of doing, and there are lots of things that they're, of course, interested in fomenting in this country. Is this really something that they are up to and something that we should be concerned about? So I think one of the big things that separates uh, 2016 from you know 2019 and moving forward is that the Russian art of deception and confusion, uh, Maskarovka, becomes a lot more streamlined and efficient in that all they have to do is increase perception of popularity around these types of narratives in America that sow uh, chaos and discord within our politics. Um, Alex Jones had been uh, pushing some of the 5G conversations since at least 2017, and if you go back further and do some quick Google searches, you can see InfoWars reporting in their own form of conspiracy laundering about tyrannical technology since 2011, talking about things like smart meter slavery, uh, hundreds of smart meters explode, and electromagnetic 5G cell phone radiation is designed to decimate the population, mm -hmm. referring to conspiracies about uh, population control. So this is inherently an American narrative that is just being amplified sometimes by financially backed networks similar to InfoWars and other times by a more robust, uh, well-resourced networks like 
the Russian government or any other state actors with the digital resources looking to increase political discord inside America. Hmm. So, and and of course, that discord already kind of exists, right? Right beneath the surface. I mean, you, you have people who are very concerned about uh, about the, the, the influence of technology beyond the technology itself, the health effects, the environmental effects. Uh, it's sort of a perfect storm of, uh, of uh, an outside agitator, I suppose, uh, sort of coming in and, and, and picking up on a latent fear uh, among the population. Of course, and I think it is important, as was discussed in the earlier part of the segment, that there are legitimate uh, concerns that people have, and maybe there needs to be more research that is published about it. However, the fact that the uh, communities who are pushing this narrative are using tactics online like cross-platform coordination, which is kind of a, a stochastic process in that by pushing content out across a number of different digital platforms, not only Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, but also uh, merchandise sold on Amazon Prime or um, documentaries that you can watch on streaming on Amazon, it is designed to excite a generalized fear that is then amplified by mass media and public officials solely because of its existence. And that is where things like sock puppets and different types of automated bot networks can push these things to appear more popular than they already are. Mm. And this type of conspiratorial recruitment in some capacity is heavily monetized by the individuals who are pushing these narratives. So I think we also need to recognize the financial motivations by some of these individuals so that it is not ideological. Uh, you're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Ben Decker. He's a lead analyst on a forthcoming research paper on 5G disinformation that is going to be released by the nonprofit, the Global Disinformation Index. We are talking about 5G, uh, the wireless technology that is soon going to be powering the way that we deal with our phones, our cell phones, and we'll make them much faster. Uh, it's an infrastructure that we need also for lots of other technologies that uh, are emerging. If you want to call the, and join the conversation, give us an idea about what you think about 5G. Are you concerned about it? And what have you heard about the infrastructure necessary for the technology? Are you excited about the faster connectivity? Or are you nervous about new technologies in general and the potential health risks they may pose? As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter uh, and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will try to work you into uh, the conversation. Uh, before we go to phones, Ben, uh, I, I would love to hear more about this forthcoming research paper. What, what are we going to learn uh, in, in that? So one of the most important things that we're trying to um, get across to the public at large is that disinformation is really platform agnostic beyond social media. So looking at different e-commerce networks, looking at streaming video, looking at 
payment platforms and seeing how they too are often co-opted by these financially motivated disinformation networks. I think one of the things that was really jarring in some of the research was the extent to which e-commerce platforms are actually indirectly making money off of the merchandise and sales of t-shirts, hats, sweatshirts, baby onesies even that all push uh, conspiratorial narratives like the anti-5G campaign. For instance, Etsy gets 20 cents for each item listed to its marketplace once it's sold, Mm. and then it takes a 5% transaction fee, while Amazon actually charges certain sellers $40 a month, or sellers can pay 99 cents per each item sold. So in addition to things like ad networks where you can get paid for the amount of traffic you have coming into your site, you can also then sell these things so that the entire narrative moves from online to offline. And once it goes offline, its ability to continue to be distributed uh, in the real world has uh, its own host of secondary consequences. Mm. And there is an entire health network of individuals selling, unfortunately, the equivalent of tinfoil hat protectors to protect us from 5G radiation. And it's concerning from a consumer protection standpoint that individuals are being duped into spending money on things that they shouldn't. And, you know, a a large portion of this country uh, has economic concerns on a day-to-day basis, and we don't want to allow for these types of narratives to take people's money from them for no reason. Yeah. Um, You know, I I also wonder uh, whether these kinds of similar uh, dynamics surround other parts of technology uh, progress. In other words, is there the same reaction to, to other ways in which technology is trying to move forward and make life maybe a little more enjoyable or a little easier, but that, that people get uh, apprehensive about what's really going on? Of course. And there are a number of developments as far as uh, this web 3.0 era that we are in in which platforms are built on top of other platforms which are then customized for individual users the architects of these systems didn't fully think out all of the consequences of this type of aggregation so as the platforms are still wrestling with how to define different types of information that you know are good neutral or maybe harmful for users, it is very easy for people's personal situations to get wrapped up. I think one of the most contentious debates right now has been about the hypothetical perception of censorship by big tech. It's something that's been discussed by our president uh, and a number of other leaders, whereas on the other side, from the Democratic Party, you have a lot of pushes to eradicate certain types of content from the internet. So oftentimes, individual users who may either elicit funds from their audience to support and fund their work, or who otherwise make a living off of, let's say, a monetized YouTube account, can get caught in the policy crossfire, which, if that means losing their income, has significant uh, personal tolls. So it's a really multifaceted 
issue that will continue to play out in a variety of different ways. I think one of the other areas where this is significant is the racial biases of algorithms. Hmm. And you've had incredible reporting come out from groups like ProPublica and books like The Algorithms of Oppression by Sophia Noble that talk about a lot of the racial and gender biases that sometimes push people into being served banner ads about predatory loans if they are in lower socioeconomic areas or certain types of individuals who don't have access to jobs because of the way the algorithms are designed. So this type of big tech censorship, I think, is a, is another area that has a lot more personal truth narratives that contribute to how confusing and concerning it can be. Okay, Ben Decker, lead analyst uh, on the forthcoming research paper on 5G disinformation. Uh, where will people be able to find uh, that paper when you release it? Uh, so that paper will be uploaded to www.disinformationindex.org, and that will be out uh, in the coming weeks, and we'll be putting out a lot more information to try to break down and understand the ways uh, in which these types of narratives are nefariously distributed for financial and other political gain uh, online. Hmm. Okay. Well, we look forward to that. And thanks very much to you for being here with us on uh, Detroit Today. Thanks. Up next, we're going to have a conversation with legendary auto man Bob Lutz about the current state of the auto industry and his career. Are you nervous about new technologies in general and potential health that they pose? Uh, We're also going to talk to Bob Lutz about an upcoming show at the Yankee Air Museum. Stay with us on Detroit Today.